Good morning, friends. I'm finally getting around to taping Sunday's message. I've been out of town, um, so um, better late than never, as they say. Uh, this message is called Power Over Temptation. It's based on Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. After Jesus was baptized, Matthew tells us that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now today we're going to take a look at how Jesus faced this time of temptation, and it will show us how we can face temptation as well. We'll see how Jesus had power over temptation, and his example will help us also find power over temptation. This is an amazing story, offering unique insight into the nature and character of Jesus. For one thing, it is one of the few stories told about an event in the life of Jesus in which there are no eyewitnesses. So how did Matthew, or any of Jesus' disciples, know of the temptation he faced in the desert? Well, there's only one way they could have known. He told them about it. At some point during his time of ministry on earth, he told his disciples about the time he spent in the desert battling temptation in a showdown with the devil. And the temptation story has been called by William Barclay, for example, the most sacred of stories. Jesus is laying bare his inmost heart and soul. He told his followers about the struggles he faced. Another interesting point is that the story reminds us that Jesus was truly human. Matthew says in verse 2, after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. Matthew's words give evidence that the story wasn't just a legend created by the early church, because it emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. There has always been a tendency among some followers of Christ to strip away his humanity and make him completely unreal. I mean, songs are written about him containing lines like, Oh, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. This is the image that some people have of him. He was so divine that he never cried as a baby. He never skinned his knee, and when he worked as a carpenter, he never drove a crooked nail because he was divine. And he just went through his life floating around on one little cloud about six feet off the ground. I mean, when you think about that, uh, it's really pretty silly. That wasn't Jesus. He wasn't like that. I mean, it's true. The scripture says he became one of us, fully human. I remember watching a movie on the life of Jesus. I think the movie might have been called King of Kings. And one scene was probably the most unrealistic in the whole film. After being in the desert 40 days and nights without food and water, his hair wasn't even messed up. And as he faced temptation, he never showed any sign of struggle. In fact, he showed no more emotion at all. He spoke in a voice that I can only describe as Shakespearean monotone. There was nothing at all believable about the scene. The director entirely missed the point that this story makes. Now, this story tells us that Jesus was human, he was tempted, and he had power over it. Now, that gives us hope. I know it gives me hope, because after all, I'm human, I'm tempted. This says I can have power over temptation, just as he did. And that's exactly what the writer of the book of Hebrews was telling us in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. See, Jesus overcame temptation, so we can overcome temptation. So, right now, we're going to take a look at how to do that. And in dealing with temptation, this story shows us that there are several things we need to do. Now, first of all, expect it. I mean, come on, friends. I mean, temptation is inevitable. Even good people are tempted. Even people who walk in the Spirit are tempted. 
Matthew said, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Did you get that? He was led by the Spirit. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do, and still he faced temptation. When we face temptation, we have a tendency to think that God must have abandoned us, or there must be something wrong with us, otherwise we wouldn't be experiencing temptation in our lives. But that's not true. Even good people experience temptation. Even people whose lives are led by the Holy Spirit experience temptation. That's an important distinction I want to make. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, but it wasn't God who tempted Jesus. God doesn't tempt you to sin. He doesn't try to entice you with evil opportunities. In our judicial system, there are laws against entrapment. When an undercover police officer is trying to bust people for selling drugs, he can't walk up to someone and say, Hey, you want to buy some drugs? I mean, come on, try it. You'll like it. Just think of how good you'll feel. All your problems will go away. I mean, come on, don't be scared. See, an officer can't do that because it would be considered entrapment. Some people think that is how God tempts us with sin. That he puts a cookie on the table and says, come on, I dare you to eat it. But, you know, God doesn't do that. Temptation is inevitable, but it doesn't come from him. The Bible says in James 1.13 that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God's purpose is not to tempt us, but to give us power over temptation. Another thing I want you to realize is that temptation often follows a kind of a mountain peak experience in our lives. Right before Jesus went to the desert to be tempted, he was baptized by John the Baptist. It's a moving scene. John declared Jesus to be Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And after he baptized Jesus, the Spirit came down in the form of a dove. And a voice spoke from heaven that said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now one commentator called the baptism story the coronation of the king. It was the inauguration of Jesus' ministry and was undoubtedly an exciting time in his life. He was about to begin the work God had called him to do. God even spoke from the heavens to endorse, so to speak, his son. I mean, immediately after this powerful event, though, what happened? Jesus faced the devil one-on-one. In the Old Testament, there's a story about the prophet Elijah who single-handedly faced and defeated 450 prophets of Baal during a time of extended drought. He challenged them to call upon their gods to bring fire upon the altar. They prayed and prayed, but nothing happened. Then Elijah built an altar to the living God, and he called boldly upon God to consume the altar. That fire of the Lord came down from heaven, consumed the altar, and everybody knew that Elijah's God was the Lord. And then Elijah prayed for the rains to come, and God answered the prayer, and it rained. It was a high point in Elijah's life. But immediately after, Elijah heard that Jezebel was angry and wanted to kill him, and he panicked and he ran for his life, and he hid out in the desert, and he told God, I can't take this anymore, please kill me. You can read that story in 1 Kings 18, it's a great story. Now, Elijah was courageous when he faced 450 prophets of Baal, but he ran like a little sissy boy when he heard about the threats of Jezebel. Doesn't make sense, does it? But that's what often happens in our lives. After a peak experience, we often find ourselves alone in the desert. In his book, The Winner Within, NBA coach Pat Riley talks about how difficult it is for a championship team to win a second consecutive one because that peak experience leads to a whole new type of struggle among the players. If you're not ready for success, it can be quite difficult to handle. 
That's why Benjamin Franklin actually said success has ruined many a man, and we might add a woman. It's significant to note that uh, after um, Jesus was declared by John the Baptist to be the Messiah, the next event in his life was the time of temptation. Now, the next event in his life was not the triumphant entry into Jerusalem where thousands gathered to shout Hosanna. It wasn't the feeding of the 5,000. It wasn't the raising of Lazarus. It was 40 lonely days and nights in the desert without food and water. After his coronation as king, Jesus faced a time of temptation. A peak experience in life is often followed by a time of temptation or a time of struggle. You see, friends, when things are going good for us, we have a tendency to think, I've arrived. This is it. I'll be on top from now on. But I can tell you from experience, it doesn't work that way in anyone's life. When you succeed in a big way, you can expect a time of testing to follow soon afterwards. Another thing I want you to realize about temptation is that it often attacks you where you're most vulnerable. After Jesus had been alone in the desert 40 days and 40 nights without food and water, the tempter came and said in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, why did Satan say this? Well, because he knew Jesus was hungry. He knew the idea of eating food was perhaps one of the most tempting thought he could put in Jesus' mind. He wanted Jesus to abuse his power for his own needs, so he attacked him where he was most vulnerable. You see, temptation doesn't hit where you're strong. It hits where you're weak. If your business is thriving, but your marriage is on the rocks, guess where the tempter will attack? If you have a strong family life, but you're going through some struggles at work, guess where the tempter will attack? He'll find where you're vulnerable, and he'll go after it. In a football game, when a key player gets injured and is replaced by an inexperienced rookie, what does the other team do? I can tell you, they can start th- they'll start throwing deep passes because they know their opponent is weak in the secondary. That's exactly how temptation presents itself in our lives. It hits us where we're weak. It hits us where we're vulnerable. Now, does that mean we have to throw in the towel and give in? No. It just means we have to rise to the occasion, face temptation and God's strength. I mean, Jesus was at the point of starvation, but he did not give in. So, to experience power over temptation, expect it. It happens to everyone. Well, here's another thing to think about. Understand it. Many times we lose the battle against temptation because we don't understand how temptation works in our lives. You know, just think about this again. Temptation is, by its very nature, deceptive. It often looks, it's, it prevents itself to us in a type of twisted logic. Matthew tells us that the devil took Jesus to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple, and then he said, in verse 6, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. But then notice what Satan did next. He quoted scripture. He said, For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Do you see what Satan was doing? He quoted scripture knowing that Jesus knew it was absolutely true. But he was trying to get him to apply it in a twisted, self-serving way. He was saying, come on, God. Come on, Jesus. Jump. God will take care of you. And there was kind of an unspoken implication. Or do you really believe God will take care of you? Maybe he won't. Maybe you're not really the Messiah. An insurance salesman once told me his most effective tactic was to tell the prospect that if he really cared about his family, he would buy insurance. If the prospect turned down his sales pitch, he would say to the man in front of his wife and kids, Are you telling me that your family isn't worth 50 cents a day to you? 
Now, I don't want to disparage life insurance salesmen, but this particular man knew what buttons to push to get people to accept his offer. I mean, Satan knows what buttons to push in your life as well. And he'll use whatever twisted logic he can. He'll say things like, you know that God wants you to be happy, right? You know that you'll never be happy as long as you're married or dating this person. Uh, you know, God doesn't want you to be miserable the rest of your life. Go ahead. Or he'll say, God doesn't want your family to do without the necessities of life. And you need your money much more than the government needs it. So cut corners. I mean, spend the money on your kids. Unless, of course, you think God doesn't want you to have enough to live on. You know, very few people can be tempted with the idea of doing something bad just for the sake of doing something bad. But we can all be tempted with the idea of doing something bad in order to get something good. Satan tempted Jesus to jump from the temple in order to prove to the world that he was God's anointed Messiah. He tried to get him to do something wrong in order to accomplish something good, but Jesus understood that temptation well enough to see through Satan's twisted logic. Now, another thing I want you to notice about temptation is that it often promises what God has already provided. Matthew tells us that Satan took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, All this I'll give to you if you bow down and worship me. Now, think about this. There's something ridiculous about Satan's words. Because he was offering to give Jesus that which God had already given to him. God had already declared Jesus to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He had declared that all of creation would worship him. Every knee would bow. Every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's been God's promise to Jesus throughout all eternity. This is his world. In fact, the book of Colossians says that it was Jesus who created this world. This is his world. <laughs> and crazy, Satan still tried to offer it to him. Now, that's the way temptation works. It often offers us something that isn't really uh, his to give. I mean, something only God can give. Temptation will say to you, do this and you'll be happy. Do this and you'll have peace of mind. Do this and you'll feel good about yourself. But the devil can't give you happiness because it isn't his to give. He can't promise you the world because he can't give you the world. It's not his to give. Only God can give you happiness. Only God can give you peace of mind. Only God can give you a sense of well-being. So understand this about temptation, friends. It promises more than it can deliver. Another thing I want you to understand about temptation is that it doesn't last forever. When Jesus resisted the tempter, the tempter finally went away. Now, too often we give in the temptation because we think, oh, man, I can't fight this forever. Well, guess what? You don't have to. Temptation doesn't last forever. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 7, James said, resist the devil... And he will flee from you. Resisting temptation doesn't make you weaker. It makes you stronger. Also, I want you to understand that temptation doesn't leave forever, either. In Luke's account of the temptation story, when Jesus resists Satan's temptation, Luke says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Kind of scary, isn't it? When Jesus overcame temptation, it doesn't mean he was through with it for the rest of his life. He had to deal with it again and again throughout his ministry. We remember the words of Hebrews. He was tempted as we are. Now, most notably in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was tempted not to go through with his sacrificial death. Yet, temptation doesn't last forever, but it doesn't leave forever. You'll never get to a point where you no longer have to deal with it. In dealing with temptation, we need to expect it. We need to understand it. And third, we need to attack it. 
How did Jesus respond to temptation? He responded with the word of God. Every time the devil tempted Jesus, he responded by saying, it is written. You know, there's something about the words of scripture that give us strength in overcoming temptation. A while back, I told the story of a pastor friend of mine who had a problem with exaggeration to the point that he was, well, let's call it being deceptive. If there were 850 people at church, he would round it up to 1,000. If he had six appointments in one day, he'd say he had 10. If he paid $100 for something, he'd tell you he paid 200 or he'd tell you that he paid 50 depending upon on which way he was trying to impress you. God began to convict him of this kind of deception and he began making an effort to develop the virtue of accuracy. When he was tempted to exaggerate, he would repeat to himself a verse from Proverbs. It's actually Proverbs 11.1. 1. The Lord hates dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. You know, saying this verse to himself again and again and again helped him overcome that sin of exaggeration or, let's be honest, the sin of lying. I mean, King David also understood this principle. He said in Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When it comes to attacking temptation, the word of God is your first line of defense. The more you know scripture and use it, the more power you'll experience over temptation. When you're facing temptation, remind yourself that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. When you're tempted to lie, remind yourself that accurate weights delight the Lord. When you're tempted to take a verbal shot at one of your kids, remind yourself that Paul said, Fathers, do not provoke your children. See, the words of Scripture give us strength in the face of temptation. Therefore, we need to make an effort to know the Word. I like to tell people, work the Word and the Word will work you. Now, you can't memorize the whole Bible, and you don't really have to. But what I've learned is that when I read the Bible on a daily basis, God speaks to me about what I'm going through at that time in my life. I can't even begin to tell you the number of times I face something during the day that is directly related to what I read earlier that morning in the Bible. You attack temptation by speaking the Word of God. One last thing, you attack temptation by confronting temptation. Matthew tells us that when Satan tempted Jesus to bow down and worship him, he said in verse 10, Get away from me, Satan. He didn't run away from the tempter. He confronted him. He told him, told him basically to get lost. Take a hike. Let me ask you a question. How do you speak to your tempter? Do you hear yourself whining? Oh, no, temptation is so strong. I'm so weak. I'll never win this battle. Or do you stand strong and boldly say, get lost? Hit the road, Jack. There's no way I'm going to commit that sin. You don't have to cower in the face of temptation. I mean, you, you can stand up to it. Uh, reaffirm your commitment to God. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was saying, leave me alone because I belong to God and I don't belong to you. I worship him. I don't worship you. We need to say, you're not my boss. Jesus is my boss. I don't serve you. I serve him. When you face temptation, reaffirm your commitment to God. Remind yourself that you belong to him, that he is your Lord. Yes, friends, just kind of... In summary, temptation is a fact of life. Expect it. Temptation is insidious, so make sure you understand it. Most of all, remember that temptation isn't all-powerful, so attack it. Not in your own strength, but in God's strength. You attack it with the Word of God. You attack it by confronting it and telling it to get lost. 
You attack it by reaffirming your commitment to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus experienced power over temptation, and you can too, if you follow his, his example. God bless you. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.